0: We are so grateful that you are here this morning. It is a perfect lead in into our Sunday that will be coming, God willing, next Sunday. We have flyers out on the table. We'll have notes on Facebook here this week. We are looking forward to a good Sunday next Sunday as we assemble together with hopefully a good number of folks and consider our homecoming here. But we're thankful that you're here this morning. The theme for today is no naps. Nobody gets a Sunday afternoon nap. There's too much going on around here. We hope that if you are a young person or involved with our Last of Leaders program that you will stay as we have lunch here in just a few moments together and we will talk about our program for the coming year and we would hope that you'd be a part of that. If you can't be a part of that, you can come to the Saudi Daisy Healthcare Service at two. You can come to the teen singing and come get your picture made tonight. You can do all kinds of things this afternoon and that's part of what makes it a great day. We are assembled here together this morning to worship God, and we appreciate that first and foremost. But the many good things that are going on here at the Saudi congregation, we're thankful for that as well. Included in that, one thing that is not on your announcements is tonight, after services, uh, we have been offered a chance to stay together and eat some food. Uh, Jamie and her family were a part of catering a wedding yesterday, and they had so many leftovers, she says she can feed the whole congregation. So I don't know if that's a loaves and fishes kind of thing, if she's expecting me to work some magic or something, I don't know, but she says there's enough food. So come back tonight, again, hopefully for the sermon and the service, but stay for the food. After our uh, services this evening, we'll stay and enjoy that together. This morning, we've got an exciting announcement. It's in your bulletin, but I wanted to take a moment and mention it here from the pulpit. Our elders have graciously agreed in the last week to help us obtain a series of lessons, a subscription, if you will, to a digital library. It's called PTP 365. Of course, that's with polishing the pulpit. The 365 is for the days in a year because this is something that we can take. And there are currently around 5,000 files on this website Ah, uh, there are about 4,000 audio-only files and about 1,000 video files, and you'll be seeing this slide running. The information is in your bulletin, although I'll caution you. Between the secretary and the preacher, we got the password wrong in the bulletin. Uh, I believe in the, in the bulletin it says the password is .com, but you'll see on the screen here that it is the symbol for at that we sometimes use like in an email. Uh, and so if you'll correct that, we want you to log in to this and use this. And it is a subscription thing that the elders will pay for at least for this year and hopefully pay for it every year, but it is for everyone. There are 5,000 lessons. There are a bunch for women and by women, for our women. You can, Of course, women can listen to the one for the men. There are keynotes. There are classes on things. And so uh, it may be hard for you to see, but I even tried. If you go to the website, on the right-hand side, there is a place to put in the username and password that's in your bulletin, or at least once you correct the password. And then once you do that, You can search for keywords, you can type in baptism, you can type in worship, you can type in any number of words. You can search by speaker. If you like Phil Sanders, if you like Cliff Goodwin, if you like Kyle Butt, or any of the preachers that have participated in these things, you can search for their name. You can click on a topic, 1 Kings, again, baptism, worship, for the women, uh, for family, for parenting, by book of the Bible, by the year of polishing the pulpit, and you see that here on the right-hand side. It gives you a place to search, gives you a place to search by speaker. On the topics, there are uh, there's homeschool listed there, there's evangelism, there's elders, deacons, preachers, all kinds of things are listed there. 5,000 and will be soon almost 6,000 when they update with the 2019 files. We want you to use this, and we are excited about this. If you can log into it from your phone, you can listen to it while you're working. You can listen to it on your computer. You can download them, and it's free for you, the congregation the elders have agreed to pay. And there's no limit. There's no limit to it. You can listen to all of them as many times as you want over and over again. And we are truly excited about this opportunity, and we want to make you aware of that and make sure that you log into that. So see your bulletin You can see myself, Heath, or Charles, or Brian, uh, some of those who we can help you figure it out and log into it so that you can take advantage of this because we are thankful for it. In Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, we read another of those very brief but interesting statements. Now Saul was consenting unto his death. That death was the death of Stephen. That death was the death of taking this great preacher's life by taking rocks and stones and pummeling his body until he kneels down and cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Stephen has simply preached unto them the simple truth of the gospel, but it cost him his life. Now, Saul was consenting unto his death. And that's our introduction to this man. He's not yet the great man that we can look back and see. And we see that as we read on in verse number three of Acts chapter eight, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He disappears, if you will, or at least drops off our radar for a while, though I'm sure there was no drop off when it came to his dedication to terror and persecution. In fact, when we meet him again in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, the Bible records for us that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. If ever there was one who could claim to be the best at his job, top dog, a number one, employee of the year, it would be Saul of Tarsus. There is nothing in Holy Scripture that would cause us to believe that he was Hulk-like, if you will. Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Shaquille O'Neal. Take your pick. Picture the biggest, largest person that you've ever seen in your life. But no, there's no description on the pages of your New Testament, that causes us to think of Saul in these terms. But if ever there was a man who caused people to tremble, if ever there was a man who struck fear deep down in the soul of every man and woman who claimed to follow this Jesus of Nazareth, even a whisper of his name would send people scattering, grabbing women and children and running into hiding, it was Saul of Tarsus. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 4, the Bible says there were giants, the word Nephil or Nephilim in your Bible, on the earth in those days. The same word is used in Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 33. Surely you remember that there were ten men, ten spies, who gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And in verse number 33, it is reported that there were giants or Nephil, or Nephilim. And for our comparison, those ten spies continue and say, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. We come to Judges chapter 13, or chapters 13 through 16, and we meet a man of heroic strength, the kind of which is whispered about among the people who hear of his legend. And even in one final burst of strength, Samson shows his power and strength so that the Bible says in Judges chapter 16 and verse number 30 that the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Almost everyone in the world recalls the man among who all physical specimens are measured. For 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 4 says that he was a champion whose height was six cubits and a span nearly 10 feet tall. It continues there that his brass coat of mail weighed about 150 pounds in and of itself. But all of these men, Nephilim, Samson, a wimp, Goliath, chump change, compared to Saul of Tarsus. Pick any person in the history of the world, in the history of time, and none could hold a candle to the terror and the panic that was caused by this one single man, Saul of Tarsus, that could come about just by His presence and by His Word. Similar to the fact that at the end of John's account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, in John chapter 21 and verses 24 and 25, John says that there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written? That's an interesting concept to consider, isn't it? How many things there were that Jesus did that we don't have written down for us? I firmly believe that if we had for our reading the things that Saul of Tarsus was doing to those of the Christian way, it would probably be given at least an R rating by the Motion Picture Association of America, Oh, it would be the things of which you would shield your children's eyes if you were watching the television set and probably even say, let's just change the channel or turn that off. The passion and precision with which he carried out these heinous tasks makes it inconceivable that he could ever make a change or change his ways. But change he does. No, not on that road to Damascus, as many in the world would have you believe, although it does begin there. Interestingly enough, this man, who all of us agree, I would think, all of us would agree that we are nothing like him. We, before we became a Christian, we were not threatening and murdering. No, we weren't like him. But interestingly enough, we were like him. Because his conversion began just as mine did, and just as yours did, by coming in contact with the Savior. On that road, he meets Jesus or at least the voice of the Savior. Blinded, he's led into the city where eventually he meets Ananias. And Ananias meets his physical need by restoring his sight. But most important, more importantly, or most importantly, Ananias meets his spiritual need by asking him that great question. And now, why are you waiting? What's the issue? What's the hold-up? Arise! Get up! Get going! And be baptized. And wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. The unbelievable has happened. The persecutor has become a preacher. The murderer now desires to minister. The destroyer has dedicated himself to God. The one making havoc of the church is now seeking about and preaching harmony. The one committing them to prison now wants people to be committed to Christ. Yes, this same Saul of Tarsus Now Paul has pulled off the unthinkable. He's certainly the definition, we would say, of all in or all out. For with the same passion and precision with which he carried out those heinous tasks, he takes a similar passion and precision and applies it to the preaching and teaching of Jesus the Christ. But no matter the fact that he no longer carries chains and torches, but carries now his own conversion and the truth, there are those who won't believe him. I realize that the well-known fable wouldn't come around for years later, but I can't help but picture our favored three little pigs. Saul standing at the door, let me in, let me in. And these Christian brothers, what are you crazy? We know who you are. You may think I sound crazy, but look in your Bibles at Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9 and verse number 26. Luke records for us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Nuh-uh, he's not one of us. We're not letting him in. I reckon Paul was always a bit of a troublemaker, if you will. He obviously caused much trouble for the church and early Christians. But even after his conversion, he was still causing trouble, not in the sinful way against God, but even as it is for us today. When the truth of the matter is preached, there are many people who don't want to hear it. We become so attached to this man and his story that we spend basically the rest of the book of Acts following him around the known world as he travels about not once not twice but at least three times proclaiming the gospel building up Christians and laying a foundation for those who would follow after this Jesus there are lots of memorable moments on those journeys there's the division between Paul and John Mark or Paul and Barnabas over John Mark there's the philippian jailer who was baptized he and all his household there was the sermon on mars hill there was even that one sermon in Troas, Every Preacher's Worst Nightmare, you know, where Paul preached so long that Eutychus fell out of the window and died. Sidebar, good thing we don't have to worry about that this morning. I mean, sleeping in the sermon, maybe, but three-story windows, we don't have to worry about that here. With every step he took, every person he talked to, he was headed towards a culmination in the holy city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That fact is plainly shown to us in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse number 9, where Paul and his companions meet a Judean prophet by the name of Agabus. Agabus takes Paul's own belt and binds himself with it as a symbol of what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And even though his companions and the citizens plead with him, they beg him not to go, he reminds us once again, of his passion and his love when he says to them for I am ready not only to be bound but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus and die he almost does for just as Agabus predicted after several days in Jerusalem the Jews stir up the crowd to a riot and they lay hands on him Luke by inspiration records in verse number 31 and they were seeking to kill him And only the interruption of a Roman official, Claudius Lysias, and his soldiers save Paul from certain death. As he is being carried away by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, he makes one odd but simple request. To address the Jerusalem mob. What takes place here as we enter Acts chapter 22 is the first of at least four. Some say five, but we will say for our purposes this morning, four defenses That Paul makes on his own behalf in chapter 22 before this mob Paul makes his first defense in this defense as in other times going forward you can hear some basic points of Paul's go-to outline if you will first his early life this usually consists of a description of his life as a strict Jew But then it also leads into his manner of life that we discussed previously. That is his vicious persecution of the followers of Christ. Secondly, after he recounts his early life, he is retelling of the events that happened on that road, Damascus Road, both what happened on that road and later as he entered into the city and he received salvation. Obviously there is some variation from speech to speech as he delivers these speeches or defenses depending on the crowd. I mean, this is his life. It's not some speech that he has memorized even as my sweet wife would say that she used to could quote her daddy's gospel meeting sermons word for word because she had heard him so many times. No, it's not like that. This is his life. This is his story. And so yes, it includes his early life. It also includes that Damascus road. But third it includes the preaching of Christ. In some form or fashion, it comes back to, as all gospel preaching should, by the way, it comes back to Christ and Him crucified. His first offense there is interrupted by the angry mob, and it's fear, they are feared for His life, so they lead Him away to face the Sanhedrin the following day. This Sanhedrin, or Jewish Supreme Court, if you will, it acts... Chapter 23, his defense here is recorded to be very brief. This council or Sanhedrin of some 70 members or so is divided about what to do. And as they begin to argue and become even as the mob was the day before with the setting, the chief captain leads Paul away for his own protection. Due to a threat on his own life or due to a threat on his life, Beginning in Acts chapter 23, in verse number 23, he is led away by night by some 500 men. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. You want to talk about an escort? 500 men are needed to transport this so-called prisoner from Jerusalem to Caesarea. It is in Caesarea where Felix would be the next to hear his case. Some of the Sanhedrin come to Caesarea where along with Felix the proceedings begin and so does Paul's third defense. He again defends himself well, explaining the things he was doing and teaching among the people. And he does such an excellent job that he even earns another opportunity to preach Jesus to Felix and his wife Drusilla. And we all know how that story ends in Acts chapter 24. And verse number 25, where Felix delays until there is a more convenient season. Two whole years. Two years pass by where Paul sits in bonds until Felix is removed from his office as Roman procurator. The Jews, seeing an opening with Felix out of the way, immediately move to his replacement, a man by the name of Festus. They push him to act. And to move Paul so that they may lie and wait and kill him. However, Festus is a weakling politician. He doesn't know what to do. He realizes that he has no case actually against Paul. But as any good politician knows, he also understands that he must please his constituents. His fortune takes a positive turn with the arrival of King Agrippa II and his sister Bernice, who was also his wife. That's correct. I don't mean to be inappropriate here, but those are the facts of the case. Case, That's the kind of people that we are dealing with here. Agrippa is also a bit of an expert in all things regarding the Jews. So Paul sees an opportunity to give his defense before Agrippa. Festus takes the opportunity to run this little problem of his by Agrippa. And so in Acts chapter 25 and verse number 22, Agrippa agrees and says, tomorrow I will hear this man for myself. And chapter 25 of the book of Acts concludes by setting the stage for us. Paul's fourth defense. Agrippa is there. Bernice is there. The Bible says with great pomp. The chief captains are present. Principal men of the city there is a crowd gathered around to hear this man speak for himself. And at Festus' commandment, Paul is brought forth. So now let's listen to Paul's defense before Agrippa. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, it starts on page 136 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles there. If you don't have a pew Bible and maybe you have your own, you can follow along as we hear Paul. And chapter 26 begins. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, my manner of life from my youth know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest set of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, unto which promise our twelve tribes hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them, even under strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus, with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me, And when we were fallen, all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister." and a witness. Both of those these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, to open their eyes and to teach them to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon I was not disobedient, King Agrippa, unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes... The Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great and saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day would be both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Almost persuaded. What a gut punch for Paul to lay his soul bare before the people, to stand before the government and say exactly what needed to be said and to hear those words from King Agrippa. The message is still the same today even 2000 years later. To hear Paul share his message of just how far he was from Christ and then to realize that he could be brought near by the blood of that same Christ is just as powerful before Agrippa as it is before us today. As this same great servant of Christ would say in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 through 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. The simplicity of the Gospel is still there. Don't be almost persuaded. Hear the words of Paul begging, imploring you even this day. To not be disobedient unto the heavenly plan. Repent. Turn to God. Become a Christian. Become a more faithful Christian. Or come back to Him. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.